Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hello, I'm your host, Chris Sands, and today I'm down in Sterling, Virginia at uh, Crooked Run's second location in their tap room, talking to Jake Andres, one of the co-founders. Uh, thank you for having me down, Jake. Of course, Chris. Thanks for, uh, for coming out. Yeah, it only took uh, a year of me nagging uh, <laughs> to finally get some of your, which I mean, that, that, I, I, that sounded way worse than what, what it might. Cause no, that's, that's what it was. <laughs> no, <I'm just> <laughs> well, no, but yeah, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, from me nagging point, yeah, definitely. But you guys have had quite a year that, um, of expanding and uh, just making moves in 2019. Yeah, without a doubt, uh, it's been a busy year. Um, for for people that are unfamiliar, we're a, a brewery with two locations, and as of uh, six months ago, a new breakfast restaurant and cocktail bar called uh, Daybreak and Nectar, respectively, and that opened up in May. Um, and we were working on that for about a year beforehand. So you are a little over six years old, right? Yes. So your original location was in Leesburg. Um, it, it's which is still open, uh, quite a bit different than here. Yeah, it's uh, 600 square feet, so it is very, very small. Um, just the tap room we're sitting in right now is 1,400. Um, yeah, I was going to say for anyone listening who's never been there, that 600 square feet isn't describing the tap room. That's the entire location. Yes, <laughs> it is. It is really, really small. Um, but uh, you know, it worked for us uh, for a couple of years. It was. It was tough. Uh, it was challenging. But um, now we have a uh, 7,000-square-foot brewery in Sterling. Um, and then uh, with the restaurant, that added an additional 7,000 square feet, which was mostly the restaurant, but also some office and production space as well. So it's very big step up for us. So the let's go back to before you opened. What... Um, what were you doing before you decided to start Crooked Run? Um, I worked for a, a local farm, um, and uh, that was out of college. I didn't use my degree at all. Um, what did you go to school for? Political science. I, I, I wanted to go to law school, but I didn't end up doing that. I didn't quite have the grades and wasn't really what I wanted to do anyways. You're so. contributing more to society now anyway. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> Well, I have a friend who's a lawyer, and now he's trying to get in the beer industry, and he called me a couple of months ago with an idea uh, to do a brewery bus tour thing, and I listened politely, and <laughs> and after about 10 minutes, I said, well, you know, uh, it's kind of been done before, and he sounded so disappointed. He was like, oh, man, I guess i got to go back to being a lawyer. <laughs> yeah, there are, are there any in Loudoun County, though? Uh, yeah, I mean, Russ and Limo does, does okay. a fair amount, and there's a couple others, too. Yeah, because we have a couple in Maryland, and then there's uh, in Frederick specifically. That one's not really a tour. It's basically just a shuttle that runs between all the different breweries. So it just throughout the day, it just stops at each one, shuffling cool. people in between them. Yeah. So you were working at a farm. What, what were you doing at the farm? Um, I did uh, some work in the greenhouse. I did some farmer's markets, deliveries around uh, Northern Virginia and D.C., which was good because I actually, um, that's kind of what got me exposed to the restaurant industry. Um, and when I wrote my business plan, I actually uh, happened to see a, 
chart on the wall at one restaurant that had their average drinks per customer, which is 2.2, and I, I based ours off that, and it worked out pretty well. <laughs> but it's a, so it was a nice little slight bit of uh, experience for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so how did, uh, how did you get introduced to brewing? What was your typical home brewing route or? Yeah, how? exactly. I, I got into it when I turned 21, I bought a kit, um, for my birthday and really 21 or 21 in air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> I really was 21. Um, and, uh, I never really thought I'd get that into it, but I just kept, you know, uh, continuing over the years and getting more and more in depth. Um, and then, uh, I entered some competitions and did pretty well. Um, so I, since I couldn't get a job using my degree that you know paid adequately, um, I decided to just go for it. So how was the first batch you homebrewed? Um, it wasn't bad. Uh, it was an American Pale Ale, um, and when it was done, I had some friends over and we drank all of it. And so I started working on the next batch. But uh, I think it was either the next one, or the one after that. I did a, a chai stout that was like just horrible and uh, I remember pouring all of it down the drain and I could can still remember the smell it was just gut-wrenching cinnamon and just awful I think you're in a very uh, rare club of people who had a good first batch though at least from from um, brewery owners that I've talked to that started as home brewers yeah almost all of them say that it was awful just luck (laughs) in fact I think you if I remember correctly, it was your na- one of your neighbors had the best story about it. Adrian from uh, Ocelot said that his was absolutely horrendous, but that's what made him decide to go full in on opening a brewery. Huh. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, well, that's that's quite a bit of a leap of faith. Sure. <laughs> um, all right, so you you were home brewing. The hobby was fun, and uh, you just looked at it as that is. So opening a brewery was just like I need something. That pays better to do with my life, or what? Well, I, no, I was <laughs> what I I really wanted to do. Okay, um, and I'd seen you know on on home, home <coughs> excuse me homebrew talk, um, I'd seen like this one brewery that functioned on a five gallon system with corny kegs, and I I thought it was possible, and I was, I was following a bill in the state legislature at the time uh, SB six hundred four the the Virginia Pint Law. Um, and I contacted Jonathan Wright, who's the owner of Red Beard down in Stanton, and asked him how likely that was to pass. And he said, I think it's going to pass. I, you know, I bought all my equipment. I'm banking on it. Um, I hope it passes. Um, and I guess being a poli-sci major was a little bit useful because I had a little bit of a sense of, like, who's likely to oppose this? Nobody. Yeah. You know? So, Unless you live in Maryland. Yeah. Then. <laughs> right. Um, Although they, they've come around now and our, our laws have become much more friendly, but they, it was definitely a struggle in Maryland. It's all coming from a point where it's illegal. You yeah. know, when you start at Prohibition, nothing happens unless there's a lobby for it. And if there's nobody really pushing for it, it just, you know, those antiquated laws will sit on the books forever. So you're really almost like one of the grandfathers when it comes to craft beer in Loudoun County, though, because the vast majority of them are much younger than six years old right yeah yeah so when you opened there would have been what like lost rhino was adroit theory open yet not yet they opened about uh six months after okay we did. yeah see so you're one of the the founding fathers of <laughs> loud and craft beer it yeah it's funny to think about um but yeah it's true i mean a lot of people forget how old we are um and i mean for most of that time we we're well actually 
yeah, for most of that time we were in Indiana Brewery. Um, so we didn't really have a lot of exposure or wide footprint. Um, but, yeah, uh, I mean, there, there's definitely, you know, back in the day there was Dominion, there was Potomac as well, and there's definitely some older breweries, but they've all closed since then. So so when you opened, what what um, size brew house did you have there? Barrel and a half. So that that would be why the pint sales would be so important, because you definitely weren't going to base your business model off of distribution doing a barrel and a half at a time. Yeah, we did pretty much none. Um, uh, I think we did, I think we did Snallygaster, maybe in 2013. Okay. Um, and that was it for a very long time. <laughs> so, how long has this location been open? Um, since 2017. So we're looking in about about three years at this point. Okay. So you, yeah. s- you spent a full three years working in uh, out of Leesburg. So how? Actually, let's just go back to starting. Then I want to, the transition from that to this. It had to. It's a. It's a big leap from what you were doing to what you're doing here. But yeah, but it was easy though. I mean, the equipment's so much better. Uh, I, I can't stress that enough. Um, <laughs> and, you know, having glycol uh, instead of. Oh, air you were the all no temperature control or. Mm-hmm. So that's one of the so there's definitely there's a lot of similarities between you and Old Mother Brewing in Frederick then too because they open I think the same size brew house built themselves um, had no temper control somehow we we had we had I mean we had air and, and uh, uh, we had temperature controller that hooked up to our AC unit so we we had some but it wasn't nearly as as reliable and and we didn't even have tanks that could really hold adequate pressure um it was yeah it was tough so it's almost a miracle that you <laughs> <laughs> yeah beer quality definitely jumped up a lot when we got a proper system so who did were you doing all the brewing when you started or who yeah uh well i uh, when we when we started it was me and my partner lee um and then we uh we brought on um a couple of our brewers um ryan courtney and, and brad erickson um in the, the early years um but they were part-time Mm-hmm. Um, and then we brought on our head brewer, McKinnon, uh, after Sterling was open for about six months. Okay. It, um, we're going to take a real quick sponsor break, um, and then we'll talk a little bit more about what the early years were like. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. So even back when you started there, you had a pretty decent-sized brewing team. Yeah, well, you know, as I found out, uh, there's a lot more than just brewing beer. Yeah, I've I've heard that from um, several founders of breweries that uh, that that is one of the things that slaps you in the face pretty early on. Yeah, I mean, there's so much stuff that no matter what size your company is has to get done. Um, there really is a a great deal of economy of scale that happens when you get to a certain point, um, and it's really tough until you you hit that. Uh, I mean. Uh, it is you doing 100% of everything uh, if you can't pay somebody else to. Yeah. And 
there were some there's some things you, that are expected of a brewery no matter what size you are like you probably need to have some festival attendance at least a, one or two a year yeah you know you're gonna have to have merchandise hey, um, you almost like even just from a PR stamp let alone like exposing people to your beer it seems like the breweries that don't attend festivals at least like the big ones or the ones that support um, the local uh, associations or whatever they they're almost ostracized for not wanting to be a part of the community so and it you kind of need to expose people to your beer too but then there's also the you're, you're looked at as like oh, those guys don't want to be involved in anything yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm a team player. I like to be a part of our association and, um, and certainly do any festivals that any fellow breweries put on. Um, and especially in the early days, you know, you, you really need to get your name out there. Um, I, I wouldn't say do every festival in existence, but, yeah. um, you know, the ones that are, are close enough to your brewery that you can say, you know, hey, we're, we're 15 minutes away or whatever. That, that's actually pretty useful. So the when you first started Crooked Run, were you do did, were you doing it full time or yes. were you okay? Yeah, I mean, I I know I know some people that have started the breweries doing it part time, and I it's definitely doable. Um, but it you wasn't just have to be able to not sleep ever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I'm not sure how people do it. Um, no, I mean, um, it just depends. We we wanted to expand. We wanted to to grow. We my partner uh, Lee and I, you know, f- after about a month, we're talking about how to expand. So, you know, if that's your goal, uh, it really helps to have somebody full time. And, and and Lee still had a full time job uh, working in construction, okay. um, which he was able to leave when we opened up our Sterling location in 2017. But until that point, he was working is very very limited amount of free hours. Um, you know, he didn't. Being a project manager for a construction company, he's already working. You yeah, know, it's not like he 50, had an, 60 hours uh, a week. an easy job. He could just phone yeah. in. Yeah. Um, did Did he do? Was he in home brewing and do brewing himself too? Yeah, yeah, he did. Um, Lee, uh, he home brewed as well, and he actually approached a number of of breweries looking to volunteer, but he didn't really hear back from anybody. Um, and he read about what I was trying to do in a trade publication called Mid-Atlantic, Mid-Atlantic Monthly and contacted me, and um, I talked to him. We brewed a batch of beer together, started working together really well, and I asked him if he wanted to be my partner pretty early on, and um, thankfully he said yes because I could never do this without him. Um, I'm more of the creative uh, side, and uh, he's more execution side, and we worked really, really well together as a result, having opposite but complementary skills so the when you first opened there you're brewing a barrel and a half at a time how many fermenters did you have because there's we not have been we much have four okay. yeah that was <laughs> it um and you know unfortunately you were small and yeah. didn't have you know lines at the door or anything so um but still how did you keep up that's that. it was tough <laughs> um we ended up putting in more tanks and just I, they're they're on wheels, so I just would shuffle them around <laughs> as as needed. But yeah, it was definitely a challenge to fit in enough production. How um how long was it before you started doing uh, packaged products? That uh, 
I think our first bottled beer was in 2015. Um, yeah, May 2014. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, you can build a county pressure bottle filler really easily um, and get pretty good results. And that's actually what we still use to bottle. Okay. Um, not the exact same one, but uh, something like it. And when did you start canning? Uh, canning started in 2017. When you were in in this location? Yeah. Okay. Um, so you you also used um, so the the tiny bit of um, research I did before talking to you was that I just found that you started it with using Kickstarter too. Yes. Um, how how did that go? I cause I, I, know, I don't think I've talked to anyone that uh, helped launch their brewery using Kickstarter. It went great. Um, we were in the right place at the right time. I, I think six months after that, it was pretty hard to find money on Kickstarter for a brewery. But at the time, uh, we, we went above our, our goal by a couple thousand bucks. We were massively undercapitalized when we opened. I would not recommend it to anybody. It was just the worst. Um, but it worked. That I mean, I guess I, that basically sums up <laughs> everything. Um, so was that before you even opened at all, or did you run the Kickstarter for additional capital after you were already opening? We, so I we, couldn't, it was kind of like reading through it, I couldn't quite tell, like if you had just picked everything, or if, because uh, like I said, I'm barely professional. In <laughs> no, yeah, that's, that's more research than most people. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was before we opened. Um, I think we completed the campaign about a month and a half before we opened. Um, that plus a, a bank loan for 25k, and that was it. So you're looking at wow, at, that at forty thousand dollars to open a brewery. And again, I really would not recommend doing that. Um, <laughs> I know, like, like that's uh, compared to numbers I've heard from other people that have opened breweries. That's not even a fraction of how much they ended up spending. Yeah, yeah. But, fortunately, we built a lot of stuff ourselves, um, and uh, just stayed really lean and mean. So the, the location you chose, uh, what attracted you to that original location? Well, um, I actually, m- when I worked for uh, the lettuce farm, I used to deliver uh, lettuce to uh, to the two restaurants that were nearby. And, the Mexican place? Um, I can't remember the name. No, uh, Tuskies well, and, and oh, Fireworks. Okay. Um, and the Mexican both, place. Yes, I do too. That wasn't, <laughs> that wasn't around quite yet. Um, then maybe they had just opened. Um but uh, there was an hour wait for either place on, on Fridays and Saturdays, and I saw how busy it was, and I thought, you know, if I could just be spillover for these places, that would probably work pretty well. It's actually genius. Yeah. And it <laughs> apparently did work well. Right. <laughs> and, and, yeah, that's kind of how it functioned. Um, and it actually has a parking lot. Yeah. Which helps a definitely. lot, too. Uh, yes. I, actually, that's a really good point. I tell anybody interested in opening a brewery, the number one thing is parking. It's not really rent, although they're usually tied together. Uh, but it's just all about parking. Yeah. It, it, especially when you have so many people that are going out, jumping between, trying different breweries. It's a real pain in the neck if you go someplace and you have to park five blocks away or even, maybe even further because they just don't have any parking nearby. Yeah, without a doubt. And or there's some sort of riddle about which lots you can park in at what time and whether you're going to get towed if you're in this one or that. Yeah, yeah, it's it's in uh, in Loudoun County. Everybody's used to driving. People really have no patience for really any um, struggle to park. Yeah, which I, I wish they did, but they don't. I'm one of those people though, and I 
if I'm, I have a very irrational thought process that anytime I'm going somewhere new, worrying about what, how, like the parking situation, like I, I, it's like a weird, I guess, OCD type thing I have, but like, I'll just get so stressed out if I don't know what the parking situation's like someplace I'm going. Well, I mean, being this close to D.C., it can get really bad. Um, but fortunately, uh, we've got a fair amount of parking in both locations. Yeah, so and driving here, I'm, I'm betting you probably get a lot of, well, with having a taco place next door, a lot of lunch business. And by looking around, you do get a decent amount of lunchtime business. Yeah. Um, but the... All these office buildings have got to be a steady stream of customers at the end of the day. Yeah, it's great. Um, another thing that's nice, too, is like since a lot of these guys are, are engineers, um, and uh, a lot of them are allowed to drink while they're at work. Oh, um, nice. They'll come in and have beers under lunch. Um, I mean, there's a guy who used to come in. He used to get, when we had him on, he would get like three triple IPAs. And he's <laughs> fine. Um, What's he designing? Because I want to make sure <laughs> I avoid that. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. There, and I, you know, uh, yeah, the, it's definitely good having the offices around. Um, north of Grumman actually moved in right next door. So okay. uh, it's a pretty captive audience right there. <laughs> Yeah, if you're working in government contract, you kind of need a drink after work. Yeah. And um, we're going to take uh, another quick sponsor break. And I think we're at a point we could talk more about the opening of uh, here. The NCAP podcast is brought to you by District East. A lot of Friday and Saturday afternoons, you'll find me at District East for their weekly beer tastings. District East is part of the local beer community, and they get limited releases and exclusive beers that are hard to find anyplace else. This is why I chose District East for the release of my collaboration beers. One of my favorite things to do at District East is building a custom six-pack. With over 900 beers on their shelves and new beers every week, District East is a great place to find beers I love and to discover new and hard-to-find ones. They also have eight beers on tap for Crowler and Growler fills, and they have kegs to go. District East is located on Northeast Street in Frederick, in the same shopping center as Family Mill and Rockwell Brewery. You can find today's beer lists on the District East Facebook page or at www.districteast.beer. Right, so you said it was after a month that you guys were already talking about expanding. Yes. So when... Um, how long was it before like planning this expansion out? Um, well, I would say we were probably working on our, our business plan within six months. Um, and originally we wanted to do kind of a farm brewery um, and much bigger. And, you know, um, we ended up going with, with this because at the time, you know, farm breweries were kind of struggling in Virginia. The legislation that um, that allowed four farm breweries was not very fleshed out, and you ran into all this nimbyism that was going on, and we just decided, screw that. You know, I, I don't want to have anybody that can possibly object to what we're doing. Yeah. So we just went into warehouse space, and now, you know, a lot of farm breweries are, are doing incredible. Um, and... Um, I wish also that we had a bigger system, but uh, we're on a 10-barrel direct fire here, um, and at the time, we just couldn't really afford 
going to steam. Um, so that limited the size. Once you go above 10 barrels, that's when you start getting into having a steam brewery. Um, so uh, 10 barrels fine for us. Uh, keeps beer fresh. Uh, we just brew a lot, but, you know, it works. When you have how many... So who all was brewing now? You have like four brewers? Or? Um, we have two right now, and we got a new guy who's joining us next week. Okay. Do you still do um, any so, brewing? Sorry, and one part-time, too. So three and a half is what we'll have. Do you do you still do some brewing, or is it uh, I the don't. production team that yeah, sticks? Yeah, I, I don't anymore. Okay. Um, I'm too likely to... You know, screw stuff up now that I've been away from it for too long. <laughs> yeah. So, like, I can, like, I, I, I did, I'll do a turn here every once in a while um, if it's absolutely necessary. Okay. Um, but so and you're not going back there and the guys are rolling around great. The boss wants to <laughs> play with our equipment. Yeah, I try not to be that guy. So, <laughs> um, uh, sometimes prepping some ingredients, adding some stuff, but nothing really more than that. Um, what about Lee? Is he still doing brewing? or is he No, he got away from that a, a while ago, which is definitely for the best. Um, because he's at, his skill set is, is pretty unique and valued, he really needs to concentrate on all the st- stuff that he can do. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a full-time handyman now who works between our breweries and, and restaurants and our partners' restaurants. Um, and that really, really helps because I can tell you there was a time where Lee was basically starting at one end of the brewery working his way down and fixing everything and by the time he was done he would just have to go back to where he started and just yeah know. that's all that's another thing i i've repeatedly been told is that there's always something broken and something that needs to be all fixed so you better be handy yourself yes without a doubt um but yeah uh, you just gotta you gotta focus on doing only the things that that just you can do so how, how do you guys uh, divvy up um, what you do now? Like, what do you focus on? What does Lee focus on? Um, so I handle um, production management, um, all of our sales, um, and then I do a lot of uh, I do a lot of festivals, a lot of networking and stuff like that. Uh, Lee actually just had his first child uh, a couple days ago, so uh, he is going to be busy with that for a little while. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't have anything really tying me down so i've been able to travel a lot um and kind of do that stuff so uh, yeah i'll I'll spend this next year nagging you guys to do a follow-up episode with him (laughs) on (laughs) yes yeah we get we gotta get him here um but uh yeah i uh, i do that uh and my partner lee handles um he handles uh operations um making sure everything with our general manager runs smoothly uh, with our restaurant, um, uh, with our accounts payable and receivable, um, although we have a full-time bookkeeper too. Um, so the company has grown a lot. Uh, it's, it's a, you know, at this point we have close to 40 employees. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. That's a, that's a sizable, I guess it's still considered a small business, but yeah, it's a, on the larger end of the spectrum. Yeah. Uh, how many barrels do you produce a year? Um, uh, last year we did 3,200 and we hoped to hit 3,500. You could have bought Ballast Point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we could have. Uh, I, I don't have that wine money, but, (laughs) um, yeah. So point of reference, 3,200 is, is pretty decent for a 10 barrel brewery. 
Um, that's a, I, I would say I would say it's really decent. I mean, that's a, that's at the higher end of the spectrum of a brewery that's operating off of that size of a brew house. Yeah, basically, we brew. We don't brew on weekends. We brew an average of twice a day. Okay. Um, and then we don't do any night shift brewing. And to to change that to up that number, we would have to do either one of those or both. The twice a day is that double batching or yeah. brewing different beers and the. It just just on average, we we do we do four, fourteen turns a week. Okay, is what the, the average is. What size fermenters do you have? Um, uh, we have a cellar capacity of two hundred twenty barrels. Okay. Um, uh, we've got a, a couple tens, three twenties, three forties, a four barrel, um, and then actually a lot of uh, we use a lot of. Um, uh, neutral oak barrels for fermentation for sour beers okay how many do you have a large barrel collection now or oh yeah yeah i i i don't know off the top of my head uh how much we have in barrels right now because we're always packaging yeah um but i have probably at least 90 barrels it's a nice collection yeah um we have seven so I guess uh, how many square feet is the taste room? Because I mean, there's a lot back there that I can't see. Yeah, uh, uh, tap room is fourteen hundred. Okay, so there's plenty of room for the stainless steel and all the barrels and everything back there. Yes. Um, were you doing any mixed fermentation at the original location, or was the having more space what allowed you to no, we, start doing that? We've been doing it since 2013. Oh, wow. I, I was always interested in making sour beer. Um, actually, I mean, you were just at, at Sapwood. I went to Mike's class years ago um, oh, nice. on brewing sour beer, and that was the first one I tried was a uh, sour brown that he brewed. And I remember drinking and thinking, I think anybody would like this. Um, just, you know, not super sour, access- yeah. accessible uh, beer with some uh, Brett character, but not, you know, super funky. And, and that's kind of what got me into it. And um, um, I remember we would do some 100% Brett beers and nobody really liked them. Um, you know, we were, we were doing these, these sour beers and there just really wasn't enough um, widespread knowledge and education about them. So... Uh, they were a real hard sell, but we still did them anyways. And um, then, thankfully, uh, Kettle Sour got more and more people into it. And now um, they're probably our most popular, you know, sub-style of beer. Kettle Sours or just sour, uh, overarching sours as a whole? Mi- mixed fermentation sours. Oh, okay. Okay. Those in our stouts are our highest rated beers, and, and they're the beers that we tend to sell out of. Okay. I don't know if I've ever had a stout from here. Oh, you should try one before you leave. I will. I like. I re, I repeatedly say I don't like stouts, and then every time someone has me try a stout, I really like it. For, but for some reason, just like the weird parking thing I have in my head, I have it in my head that I don't like stouts, yeah. so I will never buy one. <laughs> and but then any time I try one, I usually love it. So well, if you I'm like just messed. If you like bourbon, you probably like ours. I mean, all, we tend to do pretty high-gravity stouts, almost all barrel-aged. Um, for a liquor drinker, they kind of straddle the line almost between beer and spirits. Hey, we're going to take um, one last quick sponsor break. And actually, when we come back, I want to talk about uh, beer styles in general with you. Because you guys do a good job of going across the entire spectrum, but you definitely focus on certain kinds. Yes.
You can now find the latest Spanish beers and ciders at Tinsel, a Valentine's pop-up bar located at 3619 Buckystown Pike. Because why celebrate love on just one day when you can celebrate all month? Tinsel is open Thursday through Sunday until February 29th. For more information, go to their Facebook page at Tinsel at Buckystown MD. And so you guys, you, you definitely do a lot of um, like the popular styles, um, hazy IPAs, kettle su- fruited kettle sours, but you also make a really good Pilsner. And thank you. And um, and I recently you've done some just normal, normal and air quotes IPAs too, right? I feel like I've had one recently. Yeah, we uh, we brought our West Coast uh, IPA back, um, which has been doing great. Which one? What's the name of that? Storm. Okay. Yes, I did. I did try that. Um, and it, it. And I've said this a bunch of times in different episodes. Every time I have a West Coast IPA, I. It's like a, a shock. Like, well, yeah, I did. I used to love these, and this is all I wanted to drink. Why don't I drink them more often? Yeah. Um, I well, uh, we took ours and retooled it. Um, and I know we're not the only ones to do this. Uh, who is it? It was made a great notion or somebody just reintroduced a, a retooled one too um you, you can think right now great notion is most known for they they posted a job for like a multimedia or a, uh, yeah, a ma- <laughs> manager position that paid like 50, uh, less than 15 dollars an hour or something like that yep <laughs> um uh if you if we took some of the lessons we we learned with uh new england ipa and kind of applied them to west coast IPA and, and uh, it worked pretty well, um, and people have been liking it. It's not super bitter, um, but it's it's got more pronounced bitterness and it's also crystal clear. Um, doing that, um, and and we tried it to do some very two style beers because I really don't want anybody to be able to say like, oh, those guys just brew a bunch of adjunct heavy, you know, gimmicky beers. Uh, certainly, we have beers like that, but. Um, we also generally will have, you know, four or five very true to style beers on tap that, you know, are adjunct free and, and, you know, I, I think will satisfy anybody that doesn't want that. So now what do you consider a gimmicky beer? Oh man. Um, you know, we do all these pastry builder, uh, pastry kettle sours that, that tend to not really taste like beer at all. Like cobbler? Yeah, which only comes to my mind because I loved that beer and Thanks. the label was awesome. Yeah, um, beers like that. Um, you know, uh, we just put a. Stop. Actually, I really like that you used your own beer as an example, like to, uh, for what you consider a gimmick. Yeah, I mean, and we've done I and we've done some straight up. We did a Lucky Charm Stout for St. Patty's Day last year. It was actually really nice, but um, I. You, you tend to get some flack from some people for, for doing those beers. Um, and I feel like as long as you don't do them too often, it's fine. Yeah. Um, See, I I love regular beer, in air quotes. But I, always, I don't have a problem at all with gimmicks in beer, as long as the beer actually tastes good. If, if the gimmick is what's selling it and you would never buy it again despite the gimmick then yeah that's a problem but if if it tastes good and it's well made i i don't care if there's a gimmick involved with it 
I agree, hundred uh, percent. Uh, it can be incredibly, you know, out there, but if it tastes good, it's good. Um, however, there are a lot of people that spend way too much time focusing on what other people are drinking, um, rather than just really not caring about it. Um, I there are some styles out there that I don't particularly care for. Um, I, all right, let's hard seltzer. Um, I, I don't dislike it, but it's not something that I really have any interest in making. Yeah. And, and um, but I don't lose any sleep over other people drinking. And I has craft beer sales, so it, I, if anything, I should care more than you know average people. But there's just a lot of you know beer consumers out there that that really don't like um, or maybe have certain ideas of what they want beer to be, and anything that deviates from that is uh, annoys them. So I had never had a hard seltzer. Um, I just never tried one. Uh, but Attaboy recently came out with one because they lost a bet to me and one of their employees. <laughs> and we bet if the bet was if he lost, the, he being the owner and brewer, that he had to make a hard seltzer. And they made it. It was, it was really good. Um, but he, I mean, he basically just made a, seltzer, a hard seltzer plain and then added raspberry puree to it. So it was real fruit. It tasted like it basically just tasted like raspberry juice, kind of like a yeah. carbonated raspberry juice. So it'd be hard for it not to taste good. Um, it, hard seltzers, when it, it's kind of where I, like, I'm not sure, completely sure how I feel about it because I reckon, like breweries are businesses, and if you know there are a bunch of people coming to breweries with a beer fan that don't like beer at all. Why not have something on tap to sell them too, instead of just saying I don't have anything for you? But at least you I have agree. you being a cocktail lounge. Also, you have other options for. Can you sell wine here too? We or? can, yeah. And we actually sold. Um, we we actually do sell hard seltzer next door at our our uh, cocktail bar. Okay. But it's not popular at all. Oh really? No, it's See, really that, not. That's what I've also wondered too. Is that a was that a fad that's going to go away hard, or no, is it I don't going think so. to stick around? I think it'll stick around, but it's just not why people are coming here. Yeah. Um, like, uh, my friend has a brewery um, in Harper's Ferry, and they sell tons of hard seltzer, but they have people coming off the river um, who've been out in the sun all day, and that's what people are looking for. Yeah. Um, but here, you know, we have cocktails and wine for people that don't want beer. So, you know, I, I just don't think it's really what our customer base wants. Yeah. Um. So you, so that's where you draw the line, or, or well, I don't really draw. I mean, just, you don't want to do that. No, yeah, and, and I guess um, you know, we we started doing, uh, we do a fair amount of barrel aged stouts without any adjuncts because my feeling is, you know, we spent all this money on the barrel, we gave it all this time in the barrel, and then we're just you gonna kind well of cover taste, it up. Actually, taste the barrel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not and the chocolate and the sugar and right. everything else added in. Exactly. Um, so, you know, um, there's just something stylistically that I prefer to do, but I don't hold it against anybody for drinking or making them. Um, and I, I've i never really understood why it should preoccupy you as a brewer or consumer. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know why people care what other people are drinking. Like, yeah. if it... I, I, Unless, like, you're trying to save them because what they're drinking is poison. Like, <laughs> like just, right. Who cares if that person over there is sitting there enjoying a uh, heavily fruited uh, 
kettle sour. Right. I I wholeheartedly agree. Um, on, the good news is, though, you know, for all the brewers out there, everybody has been wanting lager and, and mixed fermentation sour to take off more. And I, I think this summer it really did. Um, I, there's a couple signs. Um, I know people have been s- saying that for years, but uh, our Pilsners, our top selling beer in the summertime, uh, we did a, uh, a collab light lager, like American adjunct lager with Fairwinds Brewing out of Wharton called Crispo Currency that actually has uh, a 3.8 on untapped, which is like absurd yeah. because uh, I would Not never many people ever go there to rate. <laughs> right. Um, a pilsner or a crispy boy. <laughs> yeah, I was I was very pleasantly surprised. Um, and uh, then you know, like I, I mentioned before, our mixed room sours are really our only beers that sell out in a day. Um, people are are searching for that, which is cool. Is that the are you are you putting out much less of it though? When yeah, you not produce that the much. Firm? Yeah, not that much less. Um, I mean, less than, than our cans because they're sold by the bottle. Yeah. But in the grand scheme of things, in terms of how much, you know, revenue they, they represent, it's about well, the same. Because people are outlaying a lot more money to buy a bottle of a mixed firm beer than... Um, than a four-pack, yeah. yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. Um, but I think one of the things that that has helped with that is ours aren't, are not that sour. They're just not... I mean, there's a couple things that we do um, to, to kind of cap the acidity. Um, and we try to focus on, on some of them, mostly lactic, uh, lactobacillus-driven acidity, and on others, pediococcus, but never uh, acetic acid. Um, and by keeping it lower in acidity or lower in perceived acidity, um, with no acetic and with really all kind of Brett jamminess rather than like real funk, it's made a very accessible sour that um, I, I think appeals to people that were drinking kettle sour. Yeah. Um, and it's not, I don't want to like call anybody out, but like Cascade and Almanac and, and those brewers making these, you know, enamel stripping sours, they just don't have that much of a wide appeal. Yeah. Um, or after a couple of sips, you have heartburn when you're yeah. as old as I am. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm with you. Um, so, uh, oh, and uh, barrel fermented. Uh, you get some oak, which is actually kind of similar to lactose um, in the sweetness that it can kind of add to balance those beers. Um, but yeah, people seem to really like them. Do you think um, Pilsner selling so well here, though, is more of like a sign of the trend of their popularity or because of your location and the clientele coming here? Uh, that's a great question. Um, it's probably a mix of both. Um, I, I told a colleague uh, who I had taken over as GM at another brewery, um, he was trying to, to emphasize some different beers they're making, and I, I said to him, you will always decide what your top-selling beers are. By, by just virtue of, of your own direction and what you're going to even subconsciously emphasize with the customer, eventually what you want to be your top-selling beer will. Um, and I think that's probably part of it because it was always the beer that we really liked a lot. Um, but it also has to do with what people are looking for when they come here. Um, since we're a heavily taproom focused brewery, people are looking for a beer that's not very high in alcohol, that is, you know, very easy drinking. Um, they like to 
to be here with friends and spend you yeah. know some time here a couple hours and that's uh you know uh we sell less and less double ipa these days it's just not what people really want when they're here and okay yeah your kettle sours on the lower end of the abv spectrum yeah so that means you're actually uh reporting a real abv instead of just saying it measuring before you add any fruit to it <laughs> uh yeah i mean all our ours are fermented out uh we do oh, some so you, you don't add you're not making the making a beer and then we do next door in it or we we do next door at our cocktail bar uh we do a couple of those beers um but uh we we brew an eight percent berliner base uh-huh. which then we we cut um with four or five gallons of fruit to ten gallons of beer which gives you a calculated ABV of 5.8, um, which, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't test as an alkalizer, um, and those aren't even that accurate anyways, but uh, ours are, should be around at least five. So, like, um, well, so double vibes. That the fruits added after fermentation, uh, or is dur- that during fermentation? Okay, yeah, so I mean it's, it's it's all fermented out. Okay, yeah, they're all shelf st- stable, gotcha. um, which just you know is going to make a beer that, that tastes different. But um, I, I don't really want to package that style of beer. I mean, we have it draft at our cocktail bar, like I said, but it's uh, it's not something that we can, and um, you know, it's uh, it would explode in the can, yeah, truly. So. Um, what is uh, so during the summer? Your pilsners are most popular. What's your most popular beer that you can and send out into distribution? Um, you know, uh, probably either our our kettle sours or um, Heart and Soul or Core IPA sells really well. Um, but yeah, I mean sours sours sell well any time of year, but during the summer definitely a little bit better i love raspberry empress thank you yeah that's amazing beer (laughs) that it's funny because that beer we've been making that since 20 either 2015 or 2016 probably 2015 um and when we started sending some pretty early on for that style i i agree and (laughs) and when we were you know i used to do a lot of the sales um and i would bring it to accounts and buyers would say like Oh, you know, sorry, as a point of reference, this is, uh, it's kettle sour, it's sour IPA with raspberries. It's it's our very straightforward, um, and it's one of our year-round beers. Um, and when I would bring it to accounts, you'd have buyers say, like, oh, I really like this personally, but it's just too weird. I don't think customers are going to buy it. And eventually, I actually started to lose a little bit of patience, and I would say, look, this is going to outsell any stout or whatever you have on tap right now. Just put this on tap. If it doesn't sell well, just never buy beer for me again i promise you it will sell yeah. you know it's a it's a pink beer that tastes like a mimosa yeah <laughs> and um and it did sell well and when when the more you know we were probably a year two years early with that beer um i always feel like our tap room is or probably a lot of brewery tap rooms are a good prediction of what the, the market's going to be like six months to a year later which is why i think i can sell say with confidence that that lager is definitely taking off um, but yeah, uh, now we can't make enough of that beer. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I mean, I, I definitely agree with you that it, I've talked to more and more breweries that say like they're 
their lager sales are picking up and everyone's making more and more of them so i think just that in general is going to increase people buying them yeah i there is kind of a, a tail that wags a dog thing with the beer industry um both in virtue of what people are producing and what they put on the market and then also like it's just a matter of time you have brewers or beer industry people that are drinking certain beers and that rubs off on other people and eventually it kind of disseminates into the general public and I, I also think there's somewhat of um, people lose sight of just because what's popular in beer drinking groups on social media or the popular pictures on Instagram that that's only a tiny fraction of the people who are drinking beer. And the vast majority of people drinking beer are drinking, are coming from, if they're new to craft beer, all they've ever drank were lockers, most likely. And that's probably what they're going to drink if they start drinking craft beer. So the, the vast majority of craft beer drinkers aren't online talking about what they're drinking. That is so true, and it is very, very, very easy to lose sight of how insignificant you are as a 10-barrel little regional brewery. I mean, in Virginia, 95% of beer is sold in grocery stores, and we sell some uh, to uh, to Whole Foods and um, to Wegmans, um, but we're really not doing a lot of those sales. We're really just, a, a, you know, tip of the iceberg, um, a very visible one um, because of, of, you know, how popular craft beer is right now. But, yeah, most of it is is grocery store beer. Yeah, they're, even in this region, there are several craft breweries that no one talks about or gives any attention to on Instagram, on Facebook, or anywhere that are selling tons of beer. Absolutely. It's just that they're not selling the beer that the vocal minority you're talking about yeah i um and it, it's very easy to forget that i i know i know that that a lot of our customers don't follow us on on social media um that was actually one of the big Which they should because that's definitely the next topic <laughs> i want to talk about um that so i wanted to to do flagships early on and it's something that you see a lot of breweries focusing on can releases um they don't really do them but I wanted to do them because I wanted something that was reliable um, for both our, our taproom customers and for uh, accounts in distribution. Um, and I, I think that, that that really paid off. Um, but, you know, having, having a beer with a familiar label, people walk in, they don't need to look at the menu. They just know, I'll grab a four-pack of this because I know I like this. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of our, our customers. A lot are, are just here to get some good food and, and beer, and that's basically it. Well, I remember even on your um, your Kickstarter, you listed what were going to be your flagship beers. I don't remember any of the names now, so they, are any we, of them still around? Uh, Bells and Single, English Pale. Uh, we've, d- we've done all of them before. We brought all of them back, but no. We, we I, were going to have a focus on, on Belgian and English beers, and we got away from that fairly quickly. <laughs> yeah, I, I probably wouldn't be sitting here if you still were focusing on it, because the Belgian beers I definitely do not like, no matter how many times I try them. Well, sir, I mean, I, that's a pretty broad brush to a, a lot of Belgian uh, beers I do not like. Yeah. 
your one stereotypical Belgian beers? Yeah, and, well, I will say I think that most people are looking to Belgium for mixed fermentation beers, and there's really some obviously amazing stuff that has been coming out of there for years, and um, that's kind of what we've been focusing on more. So I, I actually find that very interesting what you said earlier, that most of the pe- your customers don't follow you on social media because I think you have a great social media presence, um, specifically the videos that you make, because they're, like, they're amusing. Um, who's behind those? So uh, that is the work of our graphic designer, Dylan, and our photographer, Josh, who are cousins, and okay. they put those together, and they bring in some of our regulars and friends uh, to, uh, to help out in acting them. Um, and uh, we've had a lot of fun doing those. Um, they uh, they keep things lighthearted and not too heavy. Are they the are they the two that are in them? Most commonly, the yes. Because okay. um, I I, I really I like the pyramid scheme one, and then there what was the what was the one that had like a cult theme? Um, uh, Verdant Force, maybe. No, not Ver- it was um, it, like they they. There were advertisements to meet a guy down by the river. A river. Oh, group was, therapy. Yes, group yeah, therapy. Yeah. That's what I, that one yeah. I enjoyed too. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, they. Uh, both. They're also both great beers. Thanks. Yeah, we we've had some some fun with those, and, and it's I, something that I think is fairly unique for for a brewery. Um, I, and I, our photographer and designer both do a great job with with the labels and and photos as well, and I think we we have a nice. Nice social media presence, but I think what's what's really good about it is because we built up this very, you know, we're just about to hit 10,000 followers after six years. Um, one thing that really helps is, like, the people that like us actually frequent here because you can build up a lot of likes, but all it does is sap money from your advertising dollars. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Yeah, <laughs> you're advertising to people that can't even buy your beer. Yeah. Um, how helpful is that, really? So how how does the word about here get out then if it if it's not social media? Um, it's tough. Uh, it's it's really hard to um, to to make waves in beer right now. And I, I could go on about this for a while, and I don't want to um, to sound too you know self pitying, but it is it's tough. Like people form their opinion of breweries very quickly, and a lot of times it doesn't actually have that much to do with quality. Um, uh, and you know, we've, we've gotten some, some credit for some of the beers that we've made that I think really stand out. Um, but you know, uh, one thing that's, that's tough is, um, there's a lot of really good Virginia breweries and a lot of ones right around here making great IPAs. So our IPAs are not our strongest point as a brewery, although I think we've made some decent ones, but, um, the ones that we've made that are, are, you know, better they tend to just get a three, three, five on, on tap for most folk because yeah. they've decided already this is a brewery that puts out that level of beer. Um, and I think if you ask the industry people, um, there's a lot of people that, that have respect for what we're doing, but there's so much hype that goes on in beer. And, and if you don't have hype, you will get generally a more accurate reflection, but you're also going to have, you know, it, if some... If somebody hands you two different bourbons and one is very hard to get and the other one isn't, 
you're automatically going to think that the one that's hard to get is better on some level, or at least most people will. I don't think there's anything intrinsically wrong with that. It's, it's just kind of human nature. Um, but it is tough to stand out. Um, fortunately, I, I think this year, with similar mixed room stuff, and some particular Black Friday stouts, uh, we definitely started to get some credit with those. Um, having some, some very, you know, so, some non-adjuncted uh, barrel-aged stouts and barley wines. We did some with adjuncts too, but they were like decently attenuated. They're still pretty thick, but you know, not not batter water. Um, and I think that that was what some people were looking for, and, and it did get some uh, some attention, which is nice. So, what do you think it is that? allows a brewery to be blessed as as a I think the term has a lot of negative connotation but not in like a hype brewery so the brewery that does get all the attention that you were just referring to like what or do you think it's just pure luck of the draw and who discovers them first and talks about them I I think um I think the, the overall quality in beer is has gone up a lot in terms of like how how beers are put together now. Like, I can just tell you, like, it's just a little example, right? Um, this year you saw a lot of breweries putting out kind of more amber lagers, like fest beers and marzins, that were balanced to be drier and more bitter, which made them more drinkable, which to me was an improvement on the style. Um, just things like that, like basically a better version of a style that already existed. It's an advancement, and I, I really believe it is. Not everybody would agree with me on that, but um, I think you see a lot of breweries that had home brewers um, as founders who really started pushing the, the limits of styles, um, pushing beer in better directions, and really upping their over, overall quality. And, and some of them really took off like lightning. Um, and I think some of them were also early adapters to hazy IPA, kettle sour, pastry stouts. Um, and there is something to be said for being the first to market with something. I mean, people generally don't want the imitator. They want the, the originator. Um, and that's, that's very understandable. But I think some of it is being in the right place at the right time um, and being the first, first brewery to deliver something like that to your market. Um, so going th- but like w- one of the things you said was like the rarity aspect of it. Um, so do, do you think that you think that some breweries are producing less of like what they would on a can release than what they could so that it gives a perceived scarcity to make it more rare to make it more hyped up or you think it's just that like certain breweries have gained that reputation for being I think uh, I think you have breweries that are trying to produce the amount that they think people want, which I, I we do. Everybody does. Yeah. I mean, like you don't want to have leftover product that you can't sell. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that's basically it. I think there are some other breweries that really do not want to go to a larger system, which is always going to make their beer better. Um, and you know, I I don't I wouldn't call that artificial scarcity. It's just like. I mean, look at Russian River. They, they only expanded after years of being tremendous, yeah. you know, one of the most well-known breweries in the world. Um, they probably could have got, gotten away with it earlier, but they didn't want to. Um, but other than that, yeah, I mean, uh, like, yeah, I mean, you would you would want people to come out for your release, 
and you would hope that that people would would come and buy everything that you have um but you probably don't want to overproduce on some stuff because it is going to languish and maybe that's not the look that you're going for or maybe it's just the fact that you want to turn over beer releases more quickly um you know we're we're going to do a kettle sour in the next month that's kind of weird and we're not going to make as much of it as we normally would just because it's not positive it, people will like it or it's i think people will like it it's just not going to be for everybody yeah uh, i'll tell you what it is it's a french toast inspired uh uh berliner that's got um strawberries um uh strawberries blueberries uh, maple syrup and vanilla I will try it. Yeah, I think it'll be good. But, you know, it's, it's probably not going to be yeah. something that, that sells really well in distribution because people look at it and think, like, I don't know if I'm going to like this. Yeah. Um, so, who knows? I could be wrong. What's but. the weirdest beer you've ever made? Um, um, that's a good question. Because you guys do seem like you'll put anything in a beer. <laughs> uh, probably a, a hazy double IPA called Kung Pao with uh, Szechuan peppercorn and ginger. It actually worked pretty well. Um, so that's something I would not try. It I, and it sold decently it, too. I, I was surprised. I was it? Did it have heat to it, or was it? Oh, Szechuan peppercorn isn't spicy. It's it's kind of oh, okay. it's kind of numbing. So it has this kind of just n- numbing taste okay. to it that kind of works. Um, that was definitely one of the weirder ones for sure. Yeah, I, I was at a thing once where um, the. Sam Caligione was giving a question and answer and someone asked him if there's ever been something that he thought about but then decided it was too gross to put into a beer and he just said he doesn't like to think about things like that because the left side of his brain will say ooh no don't do that and then the right side will say shut up that's what we're doing now (laughs) yeah I can (laughs) I can believe I mean uh, lobster uh, mace and what were some other weird ones? I throw all kinds of stuff in <laughs> here. He actually um, was was a huge inspiration, and I actually got it right before right before we opened. Uh, I met him at a beer bar in uh, New York City, and he was just there standing by himself. And I got a chance to talk to him, and he was super nice. And I asked him for some general advice. He kept asking me questions, and. Um, and I, I really just want to ask him some questions. Yeah. But I, I said, if you could give me one piece of general advice, um, what would it be? And he said, find a niche, do something different, don't do what everybody else is doing. And I think that, that still stands as a real timeless piece of advice. Yeah. yeah if, if it's not rubber, like uh, duplicated everywhere else, you are the place to go to for that. Yeah, totally. Um, so what is, how far out do you plan? Like you're, how many turns of the tank? Like how far out is your production plan for? We're scheduled three months, um, and then uh, less hard scheduled out to four to six months. So what what is the craziest thing that you have planned coming up? Um, was it that uh, breakfast blender? <laughs> uh, well, actually, we we have something pretty cool coming out soon. Uh, is a collab that we did with a new brewery called Wheatland Spring. That's um, about half an hour away from here. Um, we did a, a saison that we made with a bunch of herbs that they grew, um, uh, basil, uh, lemongrass, some other stuff, um, and then a bunch of wheat they grew on their farm. But what was really cool about it was we actually 
dosed it with Britannomyces at bottling, which is something that we tried recently on, on a Brett fermented triple, and it worked really well. Um, it's all about getting the pitching rate adequate so that your Brett doesn't get stressed. But this is something that I remember I wanted to try it years ago when I posted in this Facebook group called Milk to Funk and just got shot down by everybody saying it would never work. And I guess we'll find out. But <laughs> Now um, you can, uh, what will you make the I told you so post? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not that petty. <laughs> um, what is your favorite style of beer? I like lagers. That's what I most commonly drink. Um, I, I really come to like them more and more um, as time's going on. But the other thing, too, is you can't drink hazy IPA in a glass during the summertime because it gets light struck so quickly and it just gets heated up and it just tastes nasty. And because we serve our beer in glasses here and I'm most commonly at the brewery drinking, it's just not something I really want to drink. So it's clear beer. Um, and, uh, and now that we got a new tank specifically for lagers, we can do more than just our Pilsner. So we actually have a Hellas Bach, our first decoction mashed uh, beer coming out um, next week. Should be cool. I can't, uh, I can't remember what the, so there's, um, there's a brewery up in Gettysburg called Fourscore that has a Hellas that they make in a fooder that they oh, have, I love that. They have the first um, temper-controlled fooder from, um, is it Foodercraft? Or? Yeah, yeah, we want to get one too. <laughs> we, uh, we ended up going with a steel tank because we needed something a little bit bigger, but yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, he brought some, like, um, I, I think next week maybe we're releasing that episode, but he, he uh, when he came in, he brought brought some of it. It was so good. It was no so, doubt. so good. Yeah, Threes Brewing in Brooklyn does, does a bunch of those, and they're great. Uh, I was like, yeah, I had no idea that there was temper control for fooders, but apparently there is now. It's pretty awesome, <laughs> and they're pretty affordable, too. Uh, they just take a lot of care to take care of, but, you know, uh, as long as you're filling them routinely, it's, it's fine. All right, so uh, this will help you with your cold. Uh, uh, so this is a whiskey that I made with McClintock Distillery in, in Frederick. Uh, you are the first guest that gets to try the actual finished version. I think it is. I could be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure you're the first one that gets to try it. Hell yeah. That is a single malt whiskey um, aged for 18 months in new oak barrels, and we vapor infused it with Meridian and UK Golden Hops. So it stuck seven pounds of hops in the gin basket, and as we were distilling it. it That's neat. Yeah, so. Uh, Can't say I've ever had that before. <laughs> I'll let you tell, tell us what you think. Yeah, no, I get that. That's pretty cool. And I get a real kind of caramely flavor at the end of it, too. So 25% of the malt was chocolate malt. No kidding. Yeah. That's pretty cool. I've never had anything like that before. That's tasty. Yeah, I was in love with how that turned out. Wow. Yeah, I, I, that comes through really, really well. Very cool. I I want to thank you so much again for your time. You're welcome, Chris. Um, I will nag you throughout 2020, <laughs> you and Lee, to we'll do a follow-up episode next year and uh, to get Lee's story and check back in with you. Sounds so, good, man. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Cheers. Cheers.
Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to McClintockDistilling.com for more information. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my God, that's good.